reading this morning is taken from Acts uh, chapter 8, beginning at verse 26. It's 1-1-0-1 of the Pew Bibles. Acts chapter 8, beginning at verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Kandake, queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. The eunuch was reading this passage of scripture. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before the shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him, the good news about Jesus. As they travelled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. Why shouldn't I be baptised? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down to the water, and Philip baptised him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away. And the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and travelled about, preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Tracy. Let's pray. Father, open our eyes to see you in this passage this morning. Open our ears to hear from you and open our hearts to be changed by you. Amen. I wonder what comes into your head when you hear the word evangelism. Probably it depends a lot on when you became a Christian or how long you've been a Christian. I wonder if the image in your mind is of the football stadium rallies, Billy Graham, in the 80s. Or maybe it's of the terrifying movement of door knocking in the 90s. Does evangelism fill you with dread? Maybe you find it really exciting and you want to know where you sign up. Or maybe you just don't engage with it at all. Because you don't really think it's anything to do with you. You're not an evangelist. It's not your calling. It's not your gift. 
And there are plenty of other people around who can do the job much better than you. For most of us, probably if we're honest, all of us, except those who really feel called to work as evangelists, evangelism is just too scary and certainly something we don't feel equipped for. And we have all sorts of questions. How do you even get started telling a friend about Jesus? What do I say? What if I say something that's not true? What if they ask a question I don't know the answer to? Well, hopefully our passage from Acts will help us with some of those questions this morning. Because while on the face of it, it seems like a perfect example of why only the right people should be doing this stuff, I think actually it shows us that rather than being about how good we are at saying the right thing, evangelism is about how good we are at hearing the right thing. Philip hears from two people in this passage, and it's that ability to listen that makes his encounter with the Ethiopian so significant. First, Philip listens to God. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. Philip had gone out into Samaria when uh, the persecution in Jerusalem scattered the early church. And he'd been doing great work. In fact, the gospel was having such an impact in Samaria that when the message got back to the apostles left in Jerusalem, they sent Peter and John out to join with the work in Samaria. But Philip gets a message from God, go south to the desert road. Notice God doesn't tell him exactly where he's going. There's no indication of how far down the road God wants him to travel. In fact, is he going to Jerusalem or is he going to Gaza? Philip isn't given any idea why God wants him to go or what he should do when he gets there. Now, if this had been me, the conversation would have taken a lot longer. Why am I going? What do you want me to do when I get there? If I don't know what I'm doing, then I don't know what I need to be prepared for. I don't know what I need to take. Is it a quick visit? Am I moving? Can I take a friend? It would have gone on and on. I'm not good at not knowing detail. I like things to be planned. I like to be prepared for what's coming up ahead. But Philip just goes. Verse 27 just says, so he started out. He didn't have a clue what lay ahead, but he knew that if God was asking him to do it, God knew the detail of the plan. We see the same thing in verse 29. The Spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Again, Philip doesn't know who's in the chariot. He doesn't know what God is going to ask him to do when he gets there. Is this a gospel opportunity? Is this someone who needs healing? Is this someone who could help Philip? Is this someone who could harm Philip? He doesn't have the answer to any of these questions. But again, he doesn't need them. He just does exactly what God tells him to do. Evangelism is as much about listening to God as it is about having the answers. Now, I've used this story before, so I apologise if you've heard it, but I think it shows just how important it is for us to be paying attention to what God is calling us to. 
You know that Marco Polo was a great explorer, explorer, but obviously it was a family trait. Because in 1260, when Marco Polo was six, his father and his uncle travelled to Mongolia at the height of the empire. At this time, the Mongolian Empire spread from China to Eastern Europe, a kingdom larger than even that of the Roman Empire. And when they arrived there, the Mongol emperor, Kublai Khan, revealed an interest in Christianity. His mother was um, a Christian. And he asked the brothers to take a letter to the Pope, requesting as many as a hundred wise men to come and spread the gospel among his subjects. Three years later, the brothers arrived home. And two years after that, they set out on their return trek. Did they take a hundred wise men with them? No. They took two friars. For this was all the church felt they could spare. And those two didn't make it. Because when they saw how difficult the Great Silk Road was, they turned back. And so instead, Buddhism became the predominant influence, and the rest, as they say, is history. The church in Rome had an amazing opportunity to evangelise Mongolia, but they didn't listen to God. They didn't hear his voice in the request, and so they let the chance slip through their fingers. The history of the East, in fact the history of our world, could have been very different if they hadn't. Now it may be that the church didn't feel equipped for the task. It may be that they felt they needed a little more assurance that it was going to be worth sending a hundred wise men. Or perhaps they simply just didn't see the potential in the quest. But the lesson for us is that if we're going to take evangelism seriously as a church and as individuals, we need to be listening to God. Where is he giving us opportunities? Now, it's unlikely that anyone's going to walk in here and say, I need 100 people, we're going to Mongolia. But where is he giving us opportunities? Where is God opening doors for us? And it may well be that we won't get all the detail up front. But if you look at this encounter in Acts, Philip is given the information he needs when he needs it. Go to the desert road. Go and stand by that chariot. Stepping out and following where God leads is only an act of faith if we can't see the end of the journey. If you can see every step involved, there's no faith in that. The opportunities God is putting in our path may be chance encounters, like this one with the Ethiopian appears. But those opportunities may also be in the relationships we already have, in our families, with our friends, at work, with our neighbours. Each of us has the potential for conversations like this one every day if we just listen to God and hear where he's leading. The second person Philip listened to was the Ethiopian. Verse 30 says, Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Philip doesn't just charge up and start talking. He listens. And he realises that the Ethiopian is reading from Isaiah. In fact, he's reading from Isaiah 53. And that's where he starts. Do you understand what you're reading, he asks. 
My guess is that Philip very quickly put two and two together and realised that God wants this man to hear about Jesus. So even though Philip knows that's who he's reading about, he guesses the man doesn't. Philip starts with where this man is. He doesn't need a sharp, well-constructed conversation opener. He just listens and acts accordingly. So what are your friends, your family, your neighbours, your work colleagues talking about? What are the issues they're facing? And how are these open doors for you? We don't have to engineer conversations about the gospel. We don't have to try to make clever comments that will make people ask questions. We just have to listen to what they are really saying and what they're really asking. When Philip hears what the man is reading, he starts there. Luke says, with this very passage. I think Luke's emphasis is there to help us to see that we should start where they are. At its core, evangelism is not about inviting people to do Christianity Explored. It's not about inviting them to come and hear a guest speaker. Both of those are really important and may well be part of your friends, your family, understanding the gospel fully or getting the answers to some of the really tough questions. But there has to be more to it than that. In his second letter to Timothy, Paul tells him to do the work of an evangelist. Timothy wasn't called to be an evangelist, he was a church leader. And I don't believe that many of us here will be called to be evangelists. Some of us will have that very distinct gifting, but most of us won't. But I do believe that we should all do the work of an evangelist. We are not placed into the lives of the people around us merely to invite them to hear someone else speak. We're placed into their lives to invite them to hear Jesus speak. And he will do that through us. When I was training as a reader years ago, a fellow trainee described the pulpit in their church. Now, lots of pulpits have carvings or Bible verses inscribed on the front. But this one has an inscription on the inside. It's an inscription that is only there for the preacher to see. The congregation probably don't even know it's there. And it's one verse from John. The verse contains a request made to the disciples, more specifically to Philip by some Greeks visiting Jerusalem for Passover. And it's John 12, 21. Sir, we would like to see Jesus. And this verse was carved on the inside of the pulpit to remind the preachers in that church that people should see Jesus and not them. But when we look at this passage in Acts, we can see that it's a good verse for each of us to keep in mind. We would like to see Jesus. Now, it's unlikely that many of your friends and colleagues would phrase it like that. In fact, many would argue that that's not true. But it's what they need. Our friends and families, colleagues and neighbours don't need fancy words. They don't need clever courses. They don't need a well-thought-out apologetic or dazzling theological insight. They need to see Jesus. Jesus. 
For us to do the work of an evangelist simply means for us to introduce people to Jesus. So we need to listen to God. We need to listen to those he puts in our path. But there's one more thing that we need to do. We need to trust that God knows what he's doing. While to the Ethiopian, this must have looked like a chance encounter. It was anything but. Partly that's obvious to us because we know that God sent Philip there to intercept him. But it seems that God even had his hand on the detail of their conversation. The Ethiopian was reading from Isaiah 53. Now, he didn't have a nice, neat NIV. He didn't have a little pocket zip-up one. He would have been reading from a scroll. The Isaiah scroll um, in the Dead Sea Scrolls, the the only complete version of Isaiah in the Dead Sea Scrolls, is 27 feet long. It's only about A4 high, but it's 27 feet long of parchment. That's quite unwieldy. Now, they would roll it up, but it's still quite bulky. So the likelihood is that this Ethiopian had a section of Isaiah. So why would the Ethiopian be reading this section containing Isaiah 53 rather than any other? Well, it could be because of what comes slightly later in Isaiah chapter 56. He couldn't have bought the section containing Isaiah 56 without having chapter 53. And chapter 56 would have been hugely significant to him. Remember, he's an Ethiopian and he's a eunuch. And chapter 56 says, Let no foreigner who is bound to the Lord say, The Lord will surely exclude me from his people. And let no eunuch complain, I am only a dry tree. Because this is what the Lord says, To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath, who choose what pleases me and hold fast to my covenant, to them I will give within my temple and its walls a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that will endure forever. And foreigners who bind themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord and to be his servants. All who keep the Sabbath without desecrating it and who hold fast to my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain and give them joy in my house of prayer. Was he reading this scroll because these verses had given him hope of something better ahead? We're told that he'd been to Jerusalem to worship. But as a Gentile, he would only have been able to worship in the outer courts, the court of the Gentiles. But as a eunuch, he wouldn't even have been allowed to worship there. The journey from Ethiopia would have taken several weeks each way and would have cost a great deal. And he is a very important man. But he would get there to be told there was no place for him in the Jewish temple. Surely then, it can be no coincidence that as he returned home, he's reading and trying to understand these chapters from Isaiah. One can imagine, he he starts with chapter 56 and sees the hope within it, and then turns earlier in the scroll to try to understand how the promised change is possible. And so he comes to Isaiah 53. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. But he doesn't know who Isaiah is talking about. And then Philip arrives. 
to explain it to him and to show him that the one who will bring about the change, the one who will gather the outcasts and give him a place in the temple, the one who was led like a lamb to the slaughter was Jesus. God was in every detail of this encounter. This was to be the day that the Ethiopian met Jesus. There is no doubt that this man had been that God had been at work in this man previously. Else, why had he made the journey to Jerusalem to worship? And every encounter, every conversation, everything he'd read and heard bore God's fingerprints as well. God had prepared him and led him to this road at this time for this conversation with Philip in order that he would encounter Jesus and surrender his life to him. There was a a preacher called John Flavel in the 17th century, and he said, In nothing does providence shine forth more gloriously in this world than in ordering the occasions, instruments, and means of conversion of the people of God. However skillfully its hand had moulded your bodies, however tenderly it had preserved them, and how bountifully it had provided for them, if it had not ordered some means or other for your conversion, all the former favours and benefits it had done for you had melted little. God had his hand in how each and every one of us came to know Jesus. So what does it mean for us? and for our frequently faltering attempts at evangelism. Well, it means that we're not in control. God is. It means that we're not the only person who will be involved in our friend's conversion. We are likely to merely be one in a line of encounters. It means that the chance encounters we have are not chance. They are carefully planned and prepared for. And it means that evangelism shouldn't fill us with dread. Because if God presents us with the opportunities to introduce our friends to Jesus, if we listen to him and we listen to them, we can trust everything else into God's hands. Amen.